All righty. Blessings. Today, 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 today. Sit down. Thank you very much for your kind Friday. Uh, I, I, I really think that's about 10% for me and about 90% it's Friday. Uh, the weekend's coming. Hey, before I introduce, um, I'm going to preach here in a moment, but um, I have somebody special in chapel today. I want to say hello to them. Um, today is a big day because the Minnesota Vikings uh, are here today out in the lobby. You see the balloon, some of their staff. Now they're, they're practicing. The players are practicing. I think they play the, the uh, Bengals this week. But listen to me. This is phenomenal. Now, my first job I had, I got a job at Kmart in 1977. Anybody ever work at Kmart? I took the job at Kmart because it was a better offer than the one I had received at McDonald's. So, uh, love me some McDonald's and Kmart. I was paid $3 an hour. Uh, I was the, the stock boy in Redding, California, and I have to go get the carts. It was about 180 degrees outside in Redding. I'd go get the carts. And um, I worked my tail off for a year for three bucks an hour. Management brought me in, and I had a big sit down with HR. And I was working 20 hours a week. I was in high school, had my little routine, three bucks an hour, 20 hours a week, do the math. So I'd worked, worked my tail off for that 60 bucks. Um, they brought me into corporate, sat me down. That's where I found out it was Kmart stood for the Kresge Corporation. The Kresge Corporation out of Michigan is proud of your efforts. We've done a review, and we want to raise you to 305. And I said, true story, true story. I was overcome. It's just, you know, whew, waves of wealth and upward mobility hit me. I wasn't that good at math. I would have calculated that extra nickel at 20 hours a week. Okay, so that extra dollar a week was just going to really make a big difference in my life, uh, help mom and dad buy that home, uh, all that kind of stuff. So um, got to 305. That's why when I saw how much an hour you can make on the weekends doing events and you can walk, doesn't require a car. With COVID, the craziness that's gone on, unemployment, all that finding workers, right here, U.S. Bank, the Vikings, uh, the entire NFL is dependent upon North Central University right now. That's what I kind of feel like. <laughs> hey, we, we did the Super Bowl, the Final Four. We were the go-to. But seriously, um, it's a chance to make some very quick, easy, good money with a wonderful thing. Um, they need about 50-plus employees. They've already hired six or ten this morning. You can check it out, get interviewed, Get a job today that could be a wonderful little cash in the pocket, help you with school, help you with some fun money uh, um, um, out here. So see the Vikings. They're all out there, uh, different jobs at U.S. Bank uh, during the games, during the weekends. Um, maybe a, a spot on the roster you could play for the Vikings. I don't know what's available out there for 14 bucks, 15 bucks. I don't know. But if you still got some game, let them know. You can throw the catch a pass. So they need you there. Um, so go see the Vikings out there today. Hey, in just a moment, we're going to pick up our teaching out of Daniel 1. But a couple days ago, just this earlier this week, we had um, 
the sobering privilege of honoring uh, my father-in-law. He's 91. He was turning 91. He was born uh, the same month the school started in 1930. And uh, my father-in-law was my father really for 40 years, central figure in my life. And he passed away and we had a chance to honor him. But the last six months, uh, my beautiful wife, uh, we call her Mrs. H around here, has had to spend a lot of time as a caregiver in Sacramento for dad. And then the first part of school, he fell uh, a couple days before Super Saturday. And that really led to the events that he ultimately passed away. So Mrs. H has been off campus for the last uh, um, three weeks, almost a month. and uh, But she's back now. And I just want her to come say hi to you so you know I'm married. I'm happily married. This is my girl right here. Oh, my word. <laughs> Thank you. I am so happy to be back. I would much rather be here than doing what I've just been doing. But, um, you know, this morning, this, this room always blesses my heart. And the worship and um, the music and the songs that we sing here. And we were talking, as we were singing, you know, the, the songs this morning, I am covered. And just uh, contemplating the idea of how God takes care of everything, doesn't he? He just takes care of everything, and it reminded me of my dad, who through his 90 years of life, he always took care of me in everything that I, I can't even remember ever having any place of need because my dad always took care of it. He was always prepared. He always had the right equipment. He always had the right tool. In fact, he had every tool in the entire nation that you would ever need for any project. He had a tool in his, in his garage. And so it just um, reminded me as we walked through this last process, even to the point of his, um, after he passed away and we had to go and prepare for his funeral and everything, he had taken care of everything. Every single aspect of his funeral was already paid for, already taken care of. And it was a blessing to walk in there and just to have that meeting where normally you would be so lost and so sad. I say that to say this, is that that's the way God is. He covers us. He has taken care of every single aspect of our lives. Every jot and tittle has been taken care of. Every answer has already been given. As we just stay under the covering of the love of God. And as a result, we are blessed even in the most difficult situations. And I was just overcome with that this morning, and I just wanted to share that with you because even though we're going through tough times here at, you know, in our world, in our nation, that scripture of be still and know, I think it's Psalms 47 or 46, be still and know that I am God. We can do that even in the most difficult situations, even before the hardest test, even before the greatest, biggest assignment you'll ever have in your life, we can be still and we can know and we can rest and we can be blessed in that difficult place because we're covered. Amen? So anyway, it's great to be here. I'm so excited for this year. Beautiful. All righty. We're going to be, we're going to continue. Uh, I start, like I mentioned last week, I kind of start a message at the beginning of the year and kind of preach that message all all year long. So these aren't sermons that are like start finish sermons. I'm just I'm just 
start talking in September and we'll just kind of keep talking till May and we'll just cover stuff uh, for the kingdom in the word of God. And, but we are going to be in the first chapter of Daniel um, in just a few moments. And I may spend the entire year in Daniel chapter one. I don't know if we even will get out of that chapter in the next eight months. But it's just good to be here. The energy, the, the level of engagement. There's been no dip whatsoever uh, in the first couple weeks. And it's just been, been tremendous, tremendous. Um, I want to share with you a quick... Um, I've spent my life... I love... Uh, thinking about, talking about leadership. Um, and I want to try to pick out one of what I would call kind of the, the bigger headline things that really have shaped my life. If I was to give it away to my own kids, uh, this is what I would tell them as a truth that they can bank on. Um, it's very simple. It goes like this. Never tell two different stories behind the scenes. Stay true to one narrative, one accounting. Because everything you say as a leader, even in confidence, gets repeated. Everything you say gets repeated. So you have to tell one story. Behind the scenes, you can't tell this person this thing, tell this person that thing, and not think that they won't bump into each other and compare notes. So you got to tell the same story. You got to have one narrative of your life. If you tell different stories behind the scenes to people, especially as you lead organizations, um, you can tell people, hey, man, I got two things in my head right now. I'm kind of torn between these two things. Let them know that. Like, I, I kind of don't know which way to go. I'm, these, are, these are like three things I'm thinking about. But fundamentally, you can't tell two different stories behind the scenes can't tell this teacher this thing, this resident director this thing, can't tell this person that thing. You gotta have one story that you tell. Or what's gonna happen is, because this is how life works. In your 20s, this decade is all about discovery. You're discovering all kinds of crazy things. You're discovering new friends. You're discovering what you look like post high school. And see, I feel sad for you because I only have maybe five pictures of my life under 30. Maybe there might be seven. Uh, between zero, I have like three of my childhood. I don't have a single photograph of me in high school. Thank the Lord for that. <laughs> you guys have set yourself up for a lot of difficulty in the future as you analyze your every daily change of your face and your hair and your look like, ah, I'm glad there's very little record of our upbringing. I'll pick that era to live in. But you get to your 20s, and this decade is about discovery. Some of you might discover what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to do it with for the rest of your life. I found that discovery in my bride. I found out, for whatever reason, at 19. I just kind of, that's what's God's plan. Doesn't mean you got to get married at 19. I had one of my kids get married at age 26. Uh, one got married at 21. And so all the kids kind of get married differently or find their spouse. Some, in our case, all four are finally married. Um, but they didn't all get married at the same time. Some were a lot, lot of years between when that discovery took place. I've had some of my kids experiment trying to find, to discover what they're supposed to do with their life in their 20s. Um, even though they uh, held a master's degree, they were still trying to figure out what is that path? What am I supposed to do 
And who am I supposed to do it with? Your 20s is filled with discovery, okay? Your 30s, you get to experiment with your discoveries. Now, I don't mean experimentation like with negative, dark things in life, wicked things. Um, hopefully, you've settled your convictions by the time you're in your 30s. That, that thing's settled. Um, if you're still acting like you're 17 when you're 33, you're, you're in trouble at that point in time. Especially if you've grown up in the church, because you've made some really calculated decisions uh, to behave like a teenager in your 30s. And sadly, there are those that, that do that. And usually they don't recover if they recover till their 50s. Uh, it's just a spin zone for a long time. So hopefully you're not in your 30s experimenting with things uh, in, as far as ungodly things. That's not what I'm talking about. But you're experimenting with your discoveries. Like, man, I discovered this, I discovered this relationship, this potential, this idea that I'm going to work on with this person. I've discovered this gift about my life or this passion, this interest. I've discovered this. In your 30s, you get to now experiment with your discoveries in your 20s. Your 40s is really a wonderful decade. I call them the fabulous 40s um, because they were a time of clarity. I took my discoveries, my experimentations. I had to make a living, pay the bills, be faithful to my wife. I got married at age 19. So I was still faithful and paying my bills in my 20s and 30s during a time of discovery and experimentation. But 40s, man, was a real time of clarity. Like, I think I'm really good at this. I want to focus in on this in my life in my 40s. And then your 50s is unbelievable. I call it the decade of convergence. Your whole life starts showing up in your 50s. Everything you've done well, the things that you have truly been humble about in your life, and the things that you learned, man, all those things just kind of converge in your 50s. And I think then from that point on, your 60s is probably what I call the decade of reputation. Your name and your influence without even being in the room helps shape people's hearts and ideas. I think that's how it's supposed to arc. There's a lot of ups and downs in all of that. It's not a perfect formula in any way, shape, or form. Some people are getting saved in their 40s, so they kind of kick into that uh, dynamic. But right now, in this early 20s stage, you're going to go through a time of phenomenal discoveries in your life. It's just critical that you tell the same story behind the scenes. Don't be telling people two different stories. Don't be making up stuff about your life that isn't true just to get attention. Don't tell people stuff from your hometown. It's shocking how people run into say, They told you what? That's not true. They weren't the quarterback on the football team. Uh, they never even played football. So we, we just say ridiculous stuff because we don't think that that stuff's ever going to show up downstream, but it does. So just commit from this point forward. I'm going to tell the same story uh, behind the scenes instead of two stories in my life. Okay, let's go into Daniel chapter one here. Uh, so I don't know where I left off, Chris. Can you put up the slides? I'm gonna just kind of pick where I left off last time. Is there a slide coming up that says, okay, um, I, I've given this before, very key verse, Daniel 5, 12. It really frames really your experience at NCU. It says that Daniel, he did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind. You want to have a sharp brain. You want to have a sharp mind. Your ability to think, reason, respond. People want to lean into people who have a keen, sharp intelligence. Now, 
What throws you off when you study the book of Daniel is that this is in the first part of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5, but he's actually 85 years old at this point. This is actually the end. It's not chronologically laid out. This is actually talking about him in his 80s, not when he's 18. But he <coughs> cultivated three traits that built this keen mind in his life. It says here, uh, he had a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. That's what you're going after right now. You're not going after, like, I got to do this to get a diploma or a degree so I can then get a job. So I'm just going to do whatever I have to do to get that piece of paper, check the box. That's not what you're doing. You're taking this serious. And you're, you're learning, you're reading, you're accumulating, you're looking at your notes, you're reflecting. You're starting to see the world and expand you got to do that. This isn't simply about getting through this thing. That was kind of my approach at 18 because no one ever explained to me how life actually works at that stage. I was there to play hoop just to get a degree and hopefully get a job. I wasn't accumulating knowledge. I wasn't thinking about understanding how knowledge fits together and is contextualized. Hopefully you have an entirely different approach because you've looked at uh, my generation and said, eh, you guys, we're going to take a different run at this thing. And I'll just be honest with you. We haven't delivered to you a wonderful world, okay? So you got to take a different approach early on to be a little bit different maybe than what you've seen. And part of that is this stage right here. You are acquiring knowledge. You're thinking about understanding how these components fit together and are applied contextually to the world around me. But then it says they had an ability to interpret dreams, see the, which is to see the future. The ability to explain enigmas or untie the knot, like a fishing line that's knotted up. You can, uh, you can explain an enigma, a riddle, and you can solve difficult problems. You can bring civility to enemies. Now, you've heard me say this. I repeat myself a lot, especially this verse, because I want you to remember it the rest of your life. This is what you want your reputation to be, this ability to have a keen mind, that can see the future, untie the knot, and bring peace between people who hate each other's guts. If you can do that, you're going to work, first of all, for the rest of your life. You will be desirable. People will seek you out for jobs. They're going to notice you early on. Like, man, that person, man, they can just see the future. They can untie the knot, and they can bring peace between enemies. Wow, I want you next to me. I want you in this organization, in this ministry, whatever it is. Okay, next, next, next slide, if you will. So now back in chapter one, it says that in every manner of wisdom, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which, now this is when Daniel was 15. That's how he was viewed at 85. Now we're back 70 years earlier when he's about 15 years of age. And it said in every matter of wisdom, the teenager, uh, when the king questioned them, talking about Daniel and his three Hebrew friends, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. They were 10X. So think about this. For the next 70 years, the entire message of God was stewarded by a small handful of people, literally four people. Sometimes great armies and great revivals, there's a mass outbreak of God and God's doing great things through the multitudes. But sometimes an entire generation gets reduced to four teenagers. The entire kingdom is hinging on four teenagers. 
and especially for teenage boys, you're going to put the entire kingdom in the hands of four teenage boys? It's what the Lord did. The story of these four young men over the span of their life and their different, different chapters is phenomenal. And so everything was reduced to a small handful of people. We're kind of living in that time again. And I re-upped again this morning as I was thinking about this teaching. Lord, I want to be part of the small handful. If it's just going to be a handful of believers that's not embarrassed of the Holy Spirit, that's, that is still committed to telling the truth when given an option to tell the lie, when it's embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel, when feeling as though I can't be direct about the kingdom because it's going to feel humiliating to my peers, in front of my peers. I want to be part of the small handful in that generation that does not bow before the idolatry that metastasizes uh, like it did in Nebuchadnezzar's day. So just think about this. The entire message of God was reduced to four people for the next 70 years. Now, there were more followers of the Lord than these four, but these four were the primary storyline. Think about that. What if America was, was reduced to four 15-year-old teenage boys if the entire Christian message and story of our nation was reduced to four guys and what they did next, how they responded to the world around them? Sometimes it's big, and then sometimes it gets very isolated. I was talking with one of our students yesterday. We were talking about the difference between isolation and loneliness. And I said, you know, the kingdom of God right now, faithfulness is the new confrontation. The new conflict is faithfulness. I'm just going to be faithful to the Lord. Why well, hate your guts? For not even saying, just being faithful to the word of God, you become hated. So, it is an isolated moment in a sense. We're all together here in chapel, but outside of this space, man, there's a lot of isolation going on. That's different than loneliness. Next slide, if you will. Um, setting the time. The prophet Daniel lived in the 6th century before Jesus. Um, so the 6th century would be like from 600 to 500. Now, he was born in the, at the end of the 7th century, B.C., they say he was around 15 when the first deportation in 606 BC happened. When Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon came to pillage Judea and they took over that first cadre of the finest of the young men of that land uh, to re-educate them. So they think Daniel was around 15. So let's say he was born around, you know, uh, 721. And he was, but he lived the bulk of his adult life um, in the 6th century. Now think about this. Who else was alive in the 6th century? Remember, the entire message of God was reduced to four teenage boys in, in, in this context. But what was going on around the world at the exact same time as the book of Daniel? How about this? Uh, the Acropolis... In Greece was being constructed, one of the greatest architectural buildings in all the world was being constructed during the life of Daniel. Another event, the Mayans were flourishing during the 6th century BC, during the time of Daniel. That was happening. Another thing that was happening is, uh, do anybody know who that is? That's a statue of a guy uh, that we think looked like that. I don't know, Aesop. 
So Aesop's fables were being written. Some of the greatest writings in the history of the world was being written during the lifespan of Daniel. How about this guy? Confucius was alive in the sixth century. His lifespan mimicked the lifespan of Daniel. How about this next guy, Buddha? Buddha was alive in the sixth century, mimicking the exact same lifespan as Daniel. So think of these profound worldly movements, the Mayans, the Greeks, Buddha, Confucius, Aesop, all that's happening, but on the God side of the equation, four teenage boys were carrying the water for the whole message. I find it fascinating and powerful. God's keeping, multiplying power over the heart of a young adult who's committed to God and not bowing a knee to the kingdom of darkness. At the same time, the world was putting forth its greatest accomplishments. Musicians, if you guys would come and join me on the stage. Next slide, if you will. So I just want to give this to you real fast before we go. This, this is very fast slides. I'm going to do this in literally a minute to two minutes here. Here's what was going down to destroy the work of God. They took the choicest, most talented teenagers, and they wanted to give them a new identity. So they changed their names. The name change represented this move from a name Daniel, meaning God is my judge, was changed to Belshazzar, meaning Bell's prince. So what they did is they took these young men who had an identity that matched a characteristic of their creator. And they said, we want to strip all of the tendencies and the traits and the characteristics of your creator, and we're going to give you all earthly culture identities. And this is how the whole thing was going to go down. Three years of re-education, a three-year degree in idolatry is being presented to, the gener to this generation through education. Daniel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, there's four different references to learning and education, to teaching. We are at the tip of the spear of spiritual warfare when we talk about education. Right here, right now in this room, what's going on in our public schools, what's going on in our universities across this country is the tip of the spear in the enemy's ploy to re-educate a world domination toward Godless idolatry, getting everybody to bow their knee to a 90-foot idol. It's all about education, friends. All of it. But let's strip them of their identity. Let's put a new identity. Let's confuse them and give them all these earthly definitions of who they are. How about the next one? Hananiah means beloved by the Lord. He was changed to Shadrach, meaning illuminated by the sun god. So we're going to take your created identity, a trait of your creator, beloved by the Lord. That's not who you are. You have a new name. You have a new identity. We're going to give you your identity. We're going to, we're going to evangelize you into this new identity through education. And you now are a representative of the sun god, not beloved by the Lord. How about the next one? How about Michelle, meaning who is as God? This awe and respect for the greatness of God. 
he was changed to Meshach, which most scholars believe means who is like Shaq, who's like me. Which some believe was a Babylonian goddess corresponding to Ishtar or Venus. We're going to take away anything that relates to made in the image of God to this earthly, natural, universal worship of the stars, the galaxies, or the worship of this earth. We're going to change your identity. Last one is this. Azariah, meaning the Lord is my help. He was changed to Abednego, meaning servant of Nego or servant of myself. The service of self. This assault on identity in this country through the platform of education, both public, school, universities, private and public, this assault to change people's identities, to assign them identities, evangelize them into new identity, is at the tip of the spear of what this thing is all about. What are you holding fast to? You're holding fast to the fact that I am made in the image of God. And that we've replaced the image of God with the identities of man. It's nothing new. We categorize, we place people in their earthly assigned identities, contrived out of their own minds because they're swept up in a cultural moment. I just want to challenge all of us that as 10X leaders, it all starts with a resistance to this. Say, now, who are you? My identity is found in Christ. I am beloved by the Lord. There's no one like him. I am a worshiper of him. I come from him. I am of him. I'm not of this earth. I just want you to see, come biblically aware of what's going down to keep you from being a 10x leader a 10 times better in wisdom and in all matter of understanding than anything this world can produce. We'll stop there. Amen. I'm glad you came to chapel on Friday today. I'm glad you're here. All right, let's stand up. Here's what's going to happen on Fridays. We just spend a little extra time for those who can linger and pray. This is our third Friday to do this. Last week, Several more were able to stay a little bit longer. I know most, a lot of our sports teams are on the road. They're out of here today. Different places. Um, if you can linger, we go till 1230. If you can stay for five minutes, 10 minutes, a few minutes, the worship team is going to begin to lead. Then Vinny Zarletti, uh, Dr. Zarletti comes up, begins to play. I want to invite the faculty that is here today to come across the front here and we just have reestablished a culture that if you need prayer over something heading into this weekend, you're sick, you're facing something back at home, our faculty, if you'd make yourselves available right now, they're going to be up here for maybe 10, 15 minutes themselves. Come find one of them and say, hey, would you pray for me today? Come on, you guys can move now if you guys can make yourself available across the front. And say, would you pray for me before I head into this weekend? I'm facing some pretty big things in my life. If you're here with some folks from your floor, Get in a circle for a minute. Pray with your 
floor, your suite mates, or whatever it is that's here. You guys have maybe form a circle. Just pray for each other for a few moments. You can come to the altar. You can just stand there. You can sit, whatever it takes. I just want to invite you. We'll be here for about the next 42 minutes uh, um, praying, seeking the Lord, praying for revival, praying for our campus. Um, but if you need prayer today, they're available. And I invite you to stick for a few moments on this beautiful sunny day out there uh, to seek the Lord for a few minutes in this room. Amen. Jesus, we just pray as we just turn this into a time of intercession, Lord Jesus, for our nation, God, for our world, Lord, as we turn this into a time of prayer for our university campus, our city, God, the Lord, you would awaken our hearts, God. Lord, no, no school in America worships like us, Lord. But Lord, we have a lot of work you need to do in us when it comes to prayer. And Father, I pray that we would be a praying university, God, not simply a singing, worshiping university, God. So Father, anything today that's in this room, if someone is sick, if someone's carrying a burden, God, if someone's been diagnosed with a disease, God, if someone is here carrying the burden of a loved one back home that needs a miracle, God, as we agree in prayer around these altars, Lord, have your way. And Lord, just lead us, Holy Spirit. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. It's the most important question the disciples ever asked of Jesus. Would you teach us how to pray? And Father, I ask today you would do the same thing inside this wonderful school, inside this wonderful place. We give it to you in Christ's name. Worship team's going to lead. Altars are open. You need prayer. There's people here praying for you. Let's seek the Lord for a few minutes. God bless. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.